Coming up in the show, you'll hear about an exciting new podcast from Post Media and Antica Productions called True Crime Byline. A decade after she died by suicide, the case against Amanda Todd's alleged tormentor has landed in a BC courtroom. Dutch national Aidan Coban is facing a number of charges in what the Crown Prosecutor is calling a horrific case of sextortion. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Vancouver Sun reporter Susan Lazaruk joins me to discuss what the Crown is alleging Coban did to Amanda Todd, how they're trying to prove their case, and what court has heard in the trial so far. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Susan, there's a major case happening right now in BC Superior Court in New Westminster. For readers who may not remember the specifics of this case, can you tell me who Amanda Todd was and what this case revolves around? Amanda years ago came into the news when she committed suicide, sadly, after posting to YouTube a series of her sentiments on these cue cards. It was a silent testament to the harassment that she said that she had suffered by people online. You know, at the time, the details about it weren't well known, but over the years, we've learned that she was a victim of a cyber bully. The Crown has actually called this a sextortion case. And the five charges that are against her accused is extortion, criminal harassment, and sexual luring of an underage person, as well as two counts of child pornography, one for possession and one for possession and distribution. So we're seeing this trial 10 years after Amanda's death. How did the accused, Aidan Coben, ultimately come to be brought before the courts here in Canada? Because he's from overseas, correct? Correct. So he's from the Netherlands, and he was extradited here after a series of court cases in his home country. At first, the RCMP, after trying to do their own investigation for, for in 2013 and 14, at the beginning, uh, they came up with nothing. Hmm. And then the Dutch National Police got involved. They were able to find out enough evidence. Uh, they, they got a search of the place that he was staying in. You know, they had the search warrant that was done all, all legally, so they were able to go in with the Crown's permission and with the judge's permission to, to search his, his place after he was arrested. And then it was four or five months later when RCMP here were able to lay the charges against him. As you mentioned, he's facing five charges. From the Crown's perspective, what does this case hinge upon? It's his actions in dealing with Amanda Todd online. It's his actions after that. Can you walk us through what the Crown is arguing took place here? It's kind of an odd case in that we're getting little bits and pieces of what, I guess, the evidence is against him, but there's no context for it quite yet. There's some odd, you know, just expository exposition kind of details about what the police found. And in fact, when we spoke with the Crown uh, outside in the hallway, and, and she said, it's like the pieces of a puzzle, you'll get the pieces of the puzzle. Now, once they start connecting the dots for their case, I guess it'll make more sense later. But in the opening, Crown had said, you know, evidence will show that Somebody was extorting Amanda Todd online, and that person used 22 different aliases 
And those 22 aliases were used by one person, Aidan Coban. That is the way they spelled out the case. But all the details that go into how they're going to prove this, it just seems that we're getting little bits and pieces and they don't make sense in and of themselves necessarily. And, and neither does the cross-examination of some of the defense's tactics are, are kind of puzzling for us too. And so as this very long trial continues, because it's, it's set for 35 days, maybe a, more of this will start to make more sense. But at right, right now, it's not really clear the path to conviction here. What about Coben's defense? You kind of alluded to some of the their tactics just a moment ago. Is is ultimately it's a case of it wasn't me who was accessing this computer or using this computer to do these things. It was somebody else. Or what's the basis for the defense in this case? I guess all they have to do, the defense, all they have to do is raise enough doubt. And it's a jury trial, by the way. Mm-hmm. Raise enough doubt in the jurors' minds that it's possibly, you know, not beyond a reasonable doubt that it could have been uh, somebody else. So, for instance, today, the childhood friend had talked about how he had known his friend for many years, and known uh, Aiden, and so when he got time for the cross-examination, defense had said, did Coben repair computers for a living? And so, you know, the, the friend said, yes, he did. And so one of the most exciting parts of today's testimony was the police officer said that in the search of his bungalow, they had found a stereo. It's like a a desktop stereo, just a small stereo. And when the officer picked it up, he thought there was something odd about it. They opened up the back and found inside, after they unscrewed the cover, they found this box. And in the box was Coben's passport, his Dutch passport, and two envelopes full of money, $10,000 worth of euros, and these two envelopes plus a hard drive. Mm -hmm. So was the defense suggesting that, you know, it wasn't unusual for him to have hard drives all around his apartment if that's what the police found because he regarded them for a living? We don't know yet. You know, these are just kind of the things that defense is is starting to question just to, to plant enough doubt, I suppose, about some of the evidence that the Crown has brought forward. And like I said, we don't really know yet. <laughs> I think more will be revealed as, as the trial goes on, obviously. Now, in earlier testimony, we've heard from both of Amanda's parents. And obviously, this case being so high profile in Canada, we've heard from Amanda's parents in the past in, in news reports. What have they testified to at trial? And how were they treated by Coben's lawyer on cross? So the mother, Carol Todd, had come up. She had basically just answered a number of questions about what it was like during that time when her daughter was being harassed online. And so she was very disturbing. They had to visit the police a, a number of times. And it was from the perspective of, of the mother, how she was watching her daughter, very upset by, by what was going on. Mm-hmm. And again, with the father, it was it's somewhat similar. Uh, but when, when cross-examination happened to both the parents, there wasn't a lot of questioning happening because they were just basically explaining what it was like to be living with Amanda at the time and what she was going through in their home. So they weren't trying to cross-examine them on any of their details because it, was, uh, it, was, uh, by, it wasn't that type of a testimony. I think mm-hmm. they were just uh, presenting some of the reality of living, what it was like to live with their daughter at the time before when this was all happening. And what has court heard regarding the investigation into 
both the harassment of Amanda Todd at the time. I understand a former RCMP officer has testified. What what did he have to say about his dealings with Amanda in the case in the in the lead up to her death? Mostly, they had to go through a lot of technical terms with one of the police officers. And I think it's just to, to get into the record and for, you know, for the jury's benefit, they had to kind of explain a lot of the shorthand that goes on in these chat rooms. What does LOL mean, for instance? Can you explain, you know, why you know, this, this emoji's here? What does that emoji mean? It was a long, drawn out, line by line explanation for people who might not be familiar with the types of shorthand and, and the language and the lingo that goes on when you're in these chat rooms or even on social media posts. So it was uh, mostly not uh, so much about uh, the content of it, but how it was presented. We'll be right back. Before we get back to the discussion, I want to tell you about a podcast set to launch June 23rd from Post Media and Antica Productions. Called True Crime Byline, the show will explore some of the most high-profile criminal cases in the country and what it was like for the journalists who covered them. Here's a short trailer. You probably know these stories. Paul Bernardo was arrested. Robert Picton owned a farm. But what you probably don't know is what it's like to report on them. He said to me, people like my sister are expendable. People just don't care about her. I had published something that was going to destroy this trial. So in this podcast, we'll talk to journalists about the stories that made their careers, the cases that changed the way they see the world, and the crimes that continue to haunt them. From Post Media and Antica Productions, this is True Crime Byline. Subscribe wherever... Well, you know what to do. That's True Crime Byline launching June 23rd. Over the last couple of days, there's been testimony from the Dutch National Police. What's been the scope of that testimony from police and what they were investigating or finding? I mean, you mentioned the money and the, and the passport and these hard drives. What else did they testify to in court? So what the first Dutch investigator, first member of the Dutch National Police to testify, and he's here in person. And he uh, just kind of explained his role in the search. There was 10 officers present. They spent several hours, I think it was seven hours in the bungalow going through items. He said they were given a role, they were given a room to search every item that they came across in this room. They had to inspect it to see if it had any use as evidence in a court case. And then they would tag it and bag it, so to speak. And, and that's when they found, as I said, the cash and the uh, passport. Another thing that, that uh, they mentioned that he did have a shredder in that uh, bungalow. And there was a, a guitar and apparently he likes uh, to play classical guitar. Uh, I'm not sure how that factors into the, either one of the case, either the, uh, the defense or, or, or the crown. But they did mention his um, penchant for classical guitar music. Hmm. And uh, most of it was just going through and putting into the record Here's a picture of uh, the bedroom number one and bedroom number two and bedroom number three and just kind of getting everything on the record. It's really early days in this about, I think, the Crown laying out its case, but they just have to get everything into the record on why they suspected him or that they've got him charged with these charges. One of the things I found interesting, obviously, we're, we're talking about allegations that this person had multiple 
aliases online that were used to harass Amanda Todd and threaten her and convince her to engage in photo sharing or video sharing of an explicit nature online in return for not sharing photos of her with friends and and family. And, And even went so far, allegedly, according to testimony, to pretend to be child exploitation prevention police and contacting the school and claiming that he was doing this for her own protection. What did you make of that testimony from Ryan Henley, who was a RCMP officer at the time, who's now retired? Yeah, that was an interesting exposition, I guess, of some of the evidence that they have saying that his MO was to go online and pretend that he was other people. And like you said, uh, he was saying he wanted to help and tell the school what was going on so that they could, you know, help this poor girl. And, and he went as far to say, you know, there might even be some people who are trying to blackmail her. But so, yeah, there was a lot of, if the case is going to be proved by the Crown, it seems like deceitful behavior. And I think what the defense was trying to say is that, well, these pathways, I guess the IP addresses, et cetera, they're not really that secure. You can't really pinpoint it to one particular computer or one particular person. And that's, I think, they're trying to cast doubt on some of the evidence saying you might think that uh, you've got it nailed down to this one computer, but how do you know somebody else hadn't gone into that computer? Or how do you know that that pathway that you think is from this computer to Amanda Todd, for instance, how do you know it's secure? So they're, they're casting doubt on that. And all they have to do is cast enough reasonable doubt on the evidence to get him you know, not to be convicted. At the time that these things allegedly happened, he was at a vacation property, is that correct? With, with multiple people accessing a router? Yeah, correct. So, so in, in, in that case, the defense is casting doubt on whether or not uh, for instance, that he could have even accessed a router in a separate unit. They're going to say, you know, there's too many trees around, there's brick walls. How could he even have accessed that router? And even if it was him, you know, that person accessing the router, how do you know that that's my client? Like, there's too many places for it to be insecure, unsecured, that you can't possibly, beyond a reasonable doubt, say that it came from this one computer or this one user. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what they're going to do to try and put some doubt in the jurors' minds. We've heard from some of these policing figures in the Netherlands so far. We've heard from Amanda's family. We've heard from some Canadian police. Who else does the Crown expect that they're going to call in this case? Do we have a sense of how big this investigation is and how many pieces of evidence they're going to need to introduce? I know that there's at least six or seven, they said, Dutch investigators who are here in BC and scheduled to be testifying this week. In addition to those six or seven, there's another five or six that are going to be testifying online via video from the Netherlands. So that's 12 right there. And I'm assuming we still have yet to hear from the RCMP officers who might have been directly involved in like major crimes or the child abuse unit. We have yet to hear from them, so I'm sure they'll be on the Crown's list of witnesses. And uh, an individual that uh, had a relationship online with Amanda Todd, who his name was Cody Matson, and it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about his testimony because, again, uh, there's some confusion over, you know, who actually were sending these, or, or that's what the defense is going to say. There was some confusion over who was actually communicating with Amanda Todd you know, under all these aliases. Now, as someone who covers courts, 
have you seen a case like this before? This this seems like somewhat unprecedented in the Canadian legal system to have a case like this involving, you know, an international suspect. This idea that she died by suicide, but there's a, a sense of holding someone accountable for the events that led up to her death. It does seem like an unusual case. I can't say that I've seen something similar. I, I think, you know, there's a, a woman who's sitting in the courtroom and she works with a woman's support group that deals with victims. And she said she noted that that it was kind of unusual to get this far, to, to be able to actually have a court case when somebody's being, I guess, bullied or groomed or put in a position where they're being taken advantage of. And to have somebody actually charged and sitting on trial, she said, was quite unusual. Well, I know it's a a case that captured the attention of many in this country at the time. And even though it's several years after the death of Manitou, that, that people are still paying attention to it. Susan, thanks for your time. Okay, thanks a lot, Dave. 10-3 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Susan Lazaruk. More from her and coverage of the Aiden Coban trial at VancouverSun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.